Well, today's scripture comes from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. We're going to be reading in the ESV. We encourage you to, um, you know, have this passage open, maybe in a Bible app, or uh, if you brought your own Bible or uh, in a pew Bible, but it will be projected behind me, and we uh, ask that you read along silently as we read the scripture together. So again, it's uh, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Today's message is called The Question. And what this is about is um, the idea that sometimes in life, there is an important question on which our destiny can, can rest on that. I, it, I know that sounds very dramatic, but that's kind of what today's message is about. Um, you know, if I may be so bold to suggest that perhaps your spiritual destiny on the answer to one simple question. And that question uh, is, is in some ways similar to um, a question that gets asked uh, that is very uh, well-known in Western culture. That comes from Shakespeare. Uh, so if you guys are familiar with Hamlet, how many of you guys had to read, read Hamlet at some point in your schooling? Okay, a lot of you. I see about 50%, uh, mostly this side of the room because it's mostly where the college students are <laughs> and above. Um, but uh, there, there's a famous scene in Hamlet where Hamlet uh, asked this question. And when this is portrayed on stage, Hamlet is always holding a skull. And he looks at the skull 
as he says this question. To be or not to be? That is the question. There's going to be a lot of British stuff today. Um, I, I was telling the praise team, you know, should I try to do a British accent? To be or not to be? That's not a British accent. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I'll, I'll just stop while I'm ahead. Um, but to be or not to be, that is the question. You probably heard that before. You know, you probably know the quote better than you know its meaning. I for sure, when I just thought to myself, what does that mean? I didn't really know, so I had to look it up. And so I found a friend on Wikipedia, and what they told me was that to be or not to be, it's a question of to exist or not to exist, to live or not to live. And so basically what Hamlet is trying to figure out is, is it better to live knowing that living is going to be very difficult? that he's going to have to fight, that he's going to go through some persecution, that there's going to be difficulty, there's going to be the slings and arrows of life, right? Is it better to endure that and live or to just be comfortable? In in this sense, to have the absence of struggle, which is to die, right? So it's like kind of the ultimate comfort, the ultimate lack of struggle, you know? Is it better to live even though living can be difficult and there can be struggle, or is it better to just die and not struggle, right? And I think this question, although very dramatic in in this Shakespearean form, right, and and this question of, you know, should I live or should I die, you know, that may seem a little dramatic for us, (laughs) but I think that core of that question is, is it better to struggle for something that is good but knowing that you're going to suffer or to not have the possibility of that good thing, but be comfortable. That is the question, right? And that's a question a lot of us have to ask ourselves. So I'll say that again. It's a very important question. You ask it in some form every day of your life, whether you know it or not, don't you? Right? The question of, is it better to struggle for something that could be really good or just be comfortable and do nothing But at the same time, you're not going to have the possibility of that good thing, right? Maybe it's something you're already doing, you know, something that's just easy for you to do, like procrastinating, right? You know, you're not going to have the possibility of good things, right, when you procrastinate, but you're going to be comfortable, right? You know, a lot of us in school, we have to ask that question every time you study, and, and you're up late at night, you're pulling the all-nighter, and, you know, it's all stressful, you know, and there's a potential of something good coming from your schooling or work, right? Maybe work sucks. Maybe it's hard, but there's something good that comes out of it. You know, you get paid or, <laughs> you know, maybe you have the satisfaction of a job well done, you know? Maybe there's something meaningful that comes out of all that struggle in the end, right? Or you could quit your job and just sit on the couch and do nothing and eat potato chips and <laughs> just sleep all day, Right? But you're not going to get the pay. You're not going to get the satisfaction, right? We know what that looks like in life. What about spiritually? So we're going to take this question and we're going to tweak it a little bit. But the core of that, is it better or would I rather struggle through something that could be good in the end or not struggle, be comfortable, but not have that possibility? That's the question, right? And so we are going to enter into this story, and this question is going to come up. This is uh, uh, another demon possession. We, we've gotten a lot of these, uh, a lot of like unclean spirits. But this story is slightly different. Uh, this is probably the best-known demon possession story. 
in the Bible, out of the many, many ones that there are, uh, because there's a lot, um, because there's a twist to it. And this twist has really captured people's imagination, even in pop culture. And so we're going to see what it is. Uh, So they, being Jesus and the disciples, came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. So what you get the sense is, remember we've been talking about spirits. What do they do? They lead, right? And unclean spirits lead you in a place where you don't want to go. But the unclean spirits, the thing about them is that they're very powerful. And for this man, we get this sense in this early part of the narrative that this, whatever it is that's possessing this man, is really, really powerful. Right? Like he has like superhuman strength. He's just breaking out of chains. You know, Hulk. He's going all Hulk mode. Right? Um, And so nobody can subdue him. Nobody has the strength to overpower this spirit. We've been talking a lot about kingdoms, right? And Jesus' spirit, the spirit of God, can drive out those spirits. Right? But this spirit is very, very powerful. No man, no mortal can overcome it. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, and cutting himself with stones. He's self-injuring, right? He's cutting himself with stones. It's almost like, you know, there's something going on. Maybe this man is just overcome by the spirit, and and just all he knows to do is just, you know, I I just need to cut myself to just, you know, somehow to to try to wrench some control away from this, this spirit. You know, maybe it's some kind of cry for help. We don't know but he's hurting himself. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Very interesting, right? Because why would a man with an unclean spirit, who's being controlled by the unclean spirit, come and fall down before Jesus? Is it that he wants Jesus to heal him? No. (laughs) Verse seven, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. So this is the man being led by the unclean spirit, talking this way, right? Stop tormenting me. Just being around you is agony. For he was saying to him, Jesus was saying to this man, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And so Jesus asked him, what is your name? And so this is part of the, the kind of appeal of this story that's kind of, you know, makes it a little different than the other stories we've heard. He replied, my name is Legion. He's got a nickname, right? None of the other demons that we've heard of have a nickname. Uh, My name is Legion, for we are many. So the implication here is that this man is not just possessed by one spirit, but tons, lots. So where does that name come from, Legion, right? I I know that we just think of a Legion as like lots of people, but in biblical times, uh, in the ancient world, a Legion was kind of a denomination of soldiers, And uh, it wasn't a fixed number, but by this time uh, in the ancient world, in Rome, a legion was about 5,000 soldiers, right? So now, does this mean there's 5,000 demons? Well, I don't know, right? But it is to say that there are a lot of spirits, right? We are legion. We are many. It's not just one. It's not just two. It's not just three. It could be thousands, thousands. It's hard to wrap your mind around 
But this is why nobody can even overcome this man, right? That's why this man is just helpless at the mercy of thousands, potentially thousands of demons, right? It's wild. It's crazy, isn't it? And so uh, said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. And so this is kind of interesting, right? He's bargaining with Jesus. He's like, okay, Jesus, we know what's up. Our time is limited. So, hey, look at those pigs over there. There's a bunch of pigs, so many pigs, because there's a lot of us. That looks like fun. Send us into the pigs instead, right? And so, verse 13, a very interesting thing. This is a kingdom statement, verse 13. So he gave them permission. He gave them permission. What does that mean? Jesus has authority over the unclean spirits. He has more power than the unclean spirits. And so they have to submit to him, right? And so nobody can overcome the unclean spirits. Nobody. And we're told that they go into 2,000 pigs about. And so um, I remember when I was uh, reading this and you know, doing some of my prep, uh, I wrote down in my journal, legion greater than, you know, that, that inequality sign, you know, greater than 2,000 pigs, right? You know, uh, I, I don't know if you ever, like, see those, like, hypothetical questions that people pose, like, who would win in a battle? Like, one highly trained martial artist or a lion or, like, five lions or something? Like, I, I heard this one silly question that people posed like, uh, what would win in a fight? Like, 150 Pokemon, right? Like, the original Pokemon who have, have all these powers, or a million lions? It's, like, so stupid. But apparently, there's this big Reddit thread where people, like, argued. They're like, you know what? 150 Pokemon, they have, like, special powers, right? Flamethrower, you know? Lightning, you know? Like, like they would easily win. And then people are like, do you realize how many lions would be in a million lions? Just after a while, they get overwhelmed. It's kind of silly, right? But when you think about the power differential, the legion is clearly more powerful than 2,000 pigs. It's a lot of pigs, right? But Jesus is even more powerful than that. That's the takeaway here. Jesus is even more powerful. And so they rush into the steep bank, into the sea, and drowned in the sea. This is very interesting to me. Like, why did they do this, right? Could it be that the, the legion, just their, their aim is to just destroy? They just wanted to kill this man. And so when they got the chance to kill something, they, they did it. Let's go drown these pigs. Let's just go kill them. Or could it be that this was Jesus' way of ending the legion? Being like, okay, well, if you want to go in the pigs, we'll do that. But I'm going to trap you in the pigs. And you're going to go and you're going to just sink to the bottom of the sea and you're not going to mess with anyone anymore. I don't know. It's, 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 it's kind of interesting. And, you know, it's just, we're just playing around with the possibilities. But somehow, legion is gone, pigs are gone, and, and here we are, and there's just a man now. And so the herdsmen, there's a bunch of herdsmen. Can you just imagine that you're, you're, just, you're just a herdsman, right? You're, you're just a shepherd. And you're out there, and you're watching these pigs like, oh, another day, another dollar, pigs eat, you know, oh, and then all of a sudden you see this guy, rah, you know, it's crazy dude. And then Jesus is like, go out. 
And then all of a sudden, the pigs just run into the sea, right? They all run into the sea and all drown. And they're just like, what in the world? And so as you can imagine, they go into the city and they're telling everyone about this. They're like, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe what happened. This is crazy, right? And so people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, thousands of demons plaguing him. And, And he's hurting himself. And he's, you know, falling on the ground and nobody can subdue him. They try to put him in chains and he breaks free. This guy, he's known. People know this guy because they're like, stay away from that guy. Stay away from the garrisons, right? That dude's crazy. But they see him sitting there, clothed in his right mind. And he's just chilling, right? Just like, hey guys, what's up? They're like, what? What is going on? So how do we finish the story? If it were me, if I were just making this up, I'd be like, everybody threw a party. They'd be like, praise God. They all converted. They all were like, Jesus, you're the best. Come and stay. Come and teach us. We want to know more. We want to follow you because you are powerful and you are good. Oh my goodness, this is great. But of course, as we know, because we read this earlier, right? And you probably know the story. That's not what happened. Not by far. The exact opposite happens. Verse 16, those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. They're like, yo, this is exactly what happened. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. So what's going on here? They're like, Jesus, hey man, can you just leave? Can you go far away from here? Why? Why? There could be a lot of reasons for this. One is they might just be scared, right? They're like, okay, I remember uh, seeing last week, people try to tie up this dude with chains and he broke free. So if this dude is more powerful and if this dude could cause uh, these demons to go into pigs and drown themselves, oh my gosh, who are we dealing with here? Maybe they're scared of Jesus's power in some way. Maybe it could be a strictly economic thing in some sense, Right? I don't really know why they had pig farmers there, you know, but they did, right? Somebody owned those pigs or was watching them. So what happened to the pigs? You know, they're gone. That person lost 2,000 pigs. It's a lot of pigs, you know? And maybe they're like, oh man, Jesus, before you can cause any more damage, you got to get out of here, right? We don't want to lose any more of our livelihood. This is costly, Right? And I read a, a commentary where they're like, you know, sometimes people ask the question, Jesus, what about the poor pigs? What about the poor pigs? You know, and the point in the commentary, this is a William Barclay commentary. But we have to think about priorities. What is more important? What happened to these pigs or this man? This man who is being plagued, who is being tormented? You know? And so for the people there, you know, you would think that they would look at this man whose life has been saved. He's been saved by Jesus, right? He was being tormented. This was a horrible thing. I mean, and if nothing else, I mean, it probably was scaring people away, right? But this is a miracle. And this man's life has been forever changed for the better. And they're like, 
yeah, no, we, we don't like this. This is so uncomfortable. And it's funny, too, because you'd think they'd be happy that, like, like to get rid of a demon-possessed man. But, you know, sometimes like people are, are, are okay with the problems that they know, even if it's a problem that's really bad, but maybe they just got used to the demon-possessed man. Oh, that's just crazy Phil. You know, Phil is just nuts, you know? He's just gnashing his teeth. Arr, arr. You know, we just got used to Phil. But Jesus... Now, we don't know what this is. You know, maybe it just made them uncomfortable. Maybe they would have to reevaluate the way they thought about their faith, about religion. You know, hey, Jesus, we're simple people. We're used to routine around here. Now, you come up here and you completely flip over the apple cart. You completely mess up all our notions of what is possible and what is real and what is right. We don't like that. We like our rules. We like our routine. Jesus, can you just get up on, out of here? And so whatever it is, they don't want Jesus to stay. Friends, you know, we hear this story and maybe some of us are like, okay, I, I, I don't get it. But I, actually, at least for me, I kind of get it. I actually kind of get it why people don't want Jesus around. Because remember, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, some of the gods of this world. You know, we have money, we have individualism, right? We, we had the acronym Mike, drop the mic, right? Money, individualism, and what's the C? Someone said it. Comfort, comfort, right? And so this is one of the things. What is comfort? Because we all want it. We all want it. You know what comfort is? Comfort is not moving, not changing. That is the definition of comfort. It's something that you don't have to experience any change, right? That things just stay the way they are and you're used to it. And so this is the way that we work as human beings, that when things stay the same, you are able to kind of reach a baseline where you're okay with it. You're like, oh, okay, I know what this is. I know this routine. And you get comfortable. That's what happens. Comfort by the very definition of what it is, is the lack of change, right? Comfort is not... Exciting can be something that changes. Now, it may be changing for the better, but it's changing, right? Do you ever have things that are exciting? Things are, are changing in your life. There's a lot of motion, a lot of activity. You know, maybe you're moving to a new city, right? New possibilities. But, you know, I, I think our brother who's moving to D.C. will tell you firsthand that it's not comfortable. Moving is not comfortable. You ever move into a bigger house? And you're excited on the one hand because you're like, oh, I get to move into a bigger house. But is it comfortable? No. The next day, you're going to be sore. You're going to be tired. It is not comfortable. Change is never comfortable. It's just not. By very definition, it is not comfortable. And so the whole question of to be or not to be is the idea of do you want change or do you want comfort? Because you cannot have both. It doesn't work that way, Right? And this is one of the great paradoxes of life. Because a lot of us, we really like comfort. We really want comfort. But on the other hand, we're like, yeah, but there are some things in my life that need to change. And you want both, and you realize very quickly, you can't have it. You can't have it. But it doesn't stop people from trying. People try this all the time, right? I know this because I watch TV and infomercials. You guys ever see infomercials that try to sell you comfort and change at the same time? Diet pills are a good example. Hey, take this one weird pill, right? This one weird trick, and you will get rid of all the belly fat. 
right? You don't even need to work out. You don't even need to change anything. You don't need to change your diet. All you got to do is take a miracle pill and boom, it's all gone, right? I got to tell you, no such thing exists. You know, they've been trying to sell like all these stupid things where like you put on a belt and it just like, like stimulates your abs and just, you know, you know, in all these commercials, you see this person and what are they doing? They're always watching TV. They're watching TV and they're laughing. <laughs> and they got the belt, you know? And then they take off the belt and <laughs> magically, there's a six pack. No discomfort. Man, I got to tell you, I was so tempted to buy it. So tempted. I'm like, that sounds wonderful. What if it works? And I, and I like looked into it and, and I heard that actually some of them do, but they hurt like nothing. Because what it is, is basically electrodes going into your muscles, stimulating your muscles and like kind of shocking them to like tense and like, you know, so this person watching TV, right? That's not comfortable. That's not comfortable, but that's not what the infomercial says. The person's smiling. Oh, that TV show is so funny. Oh, six pack. Oh, where'd that come from? It doesn't work that way, friends. It doesn't work that way. So friends, what did Jesus come to do? Did Jesus come to make you comfortable? He didn't. He came to rule and reign in this world. The world was actually moving in a certain direction. The world is ruled by spirits that are not of God. My friends, just look around you in this world. Look at the spirits that are dominating nowadays. Just one example, which I'm sure all of you have heard about. In the past week, a couple weeks, we have had all of these things come out about all these politicians and celebrities, sometimes beloved celebrities that we come to find out have sexually assaulted or harassed women. I've done really, really inappropriate things. And you know, the crazy thing is some people are like, why is all this happening now? And it's not all happening now. Some of it happened 20, 30 years ago. But the thing is for a lot of women that they didn't say anything because they knew that if they said something, no one would believe them. Or they would get stigmatized. Nothing's going to happen anyway, so why expose myself? But when some people start coming forward and people actually listened to them and, and, and started looking into it and that there was some justice done, then other people got emboldened. They're like, okay, let's co- go, come speak out. And now it's just like the floodgates have been opened. And it's not that it wasn't happening. It's just we're starting to see it. And it's so depressing, right? I'm so tempted, probably some of you are too, to just turn off the channel. I want to have comfort but the truth is that there are very, very uncomfortable truths. What's going on in it? And we can try to just pretend, because this is what we do. We just try to pretend that everything is okay. But Jesus has come, and in, in many ways, I mean, even before Jesus, the law exposes sin. It shows how jacked up this world is. Hey, you know what? This is the code. This is the moral code. This is what I expect of my people in this world. This is what... It would look like if God were king, this world would look like this. You wouldn't be, people wouldn't be going around raping people and killing people and stealing from people. We wouldn't have that kind of world if God were truly in control, right? And so Jesus has come not to make us comfortable, but to change the world. 
right? To change it by putting his kingdom in place. Deposing the kingdoms and the spirits that are running us into ruin, right? And friends, by very definition, that act of revolution, of Jesus' kingdom taking over, it it's not. It's not going to be comfortable, right? And even just one man getting healed, it like sets these cities on fire. They're just like, oh my gosh, what do we do? This is crazy. And so instead of saying, Jesus, come and stay and come jack up our world further for the good, they say, Jesus, we don't like this. Leave, leave. So what are they doing then? They're choosing comfort over Jesus. They're choosing comfort over salvation. And remember, I've talked about this before. Salvation is not just you get to go to heaven after you die, but you're saved from all the things that are not of God, that are leading you to destruction, right? And they could have that, but they choose not to have it. Now, on the other hand, you got the man who was possessed by the demon. And so here we see that... um, as he was getting back into the boat. So he's like, okay, fine, you don't want me, I'll leave. And by the way, friends, that's the way it is. This is very important. Jesus is trying to bring a kingdom, but it is not a hostile takeover, right? Um, <laughs> I'm going to use this example, and it's kind of weird. It's kind of like, like, do you ever see like vampire movies and stuff? What is like the one rule of a vampire movie? Like when a vampire comes to your house, knock, knock, hello, I want to suck your blood. <laughs> like, like, what, what is the one rule? Vampire can't come in without being invited. Can't come in without being invited. You know, um, Dallas Willard says sometimes, Jesus is a gentleman. <laughs> Jesus is a gentleman. He comes knocking, but he's not going to come bursting in like, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I'm going to come jack up your world. You got to let him in. You got to let him in. You know, and so they say, we don't want you, Jesus. Get out of here. He's like, okay, Peace. <laughs> and, and he's about to peace out, right? And as he's about to get into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. I know I've been doing this a lot, friends, but there's a reason because it's all throughout the Gospel of Mark, right? Remember, <laughs> about a month ago, I preached a sermon called With. And then the week after that, uh, there was a sermon called Without. We're talking about Jesus did not just come to just send you some nice teachings and go on his merry way. He came to be with us, to be with us. And the people have this opportunity and they're like, no, Jesus, get out of here. We don't want you to be with us. But the man who actually has been healed, he's begging Jesus, Jesus, I want to be with you. What is different for this man? What is different for this man? He has tasted personally the power of Jesus to save and to heal and to restore broken things. And he's tasted it to the point where he's like, I don't care what it costs. I don't care what it costs. I want to be with this man. Being with this man is better than not being with this man. And so the funny thing is uh, Jesus did not permit him and maybe some of you might think, okay, Jesus is kind of cruel, but remember, Jesus' spirit can be with anybody. He doesn't need to just physically be with the person because we know that because we are in that boat. We, like the demon-possessed man, don't get to have the physical 
flesh and blood, wearing the robes and the beard and everything. We don't get to have that Jesus, but we get to have his spirit. And this man gets a distinct privilege. Remember, we mentioned last week that Jesus hinted that this was going to happen. But so far, anytime Jesus healed somebody, up until this point, what did he say? Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Time's not right. Time's not right. And then last week, the parable was saying that there is no good thing, no light that isn't meant to be shown to the world. At some point, it's going to be uncovered. The secrets are going to be out there. And this is where we see it, in this man who understands the goodness of God and he actually wants to be with Jesus. He wants to be his disciple. And so he charges him, go home to your friends and tell them how the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And check this out, friends. This is, this is awesome. He says, go home, right? Go to your house. Maybe just tell your friends, right? Have them over, right? But he doesn't do that. He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. You guys know what a Decapolis is? It's a region. I thought Decapolis was like Acropolis or something. It was like some kind of Roman building or something. It's not. Decapolis means 10 cities. He goes to 10 different cities. And he's like, I got to tell you about what the Lord has done for me. He's one of the first Christian evangelists, right? Filled with the joy, filled with the healing of the Lord. Jesus has come to reign and it is wonderful. He's like, man, I don't want to go back. Everybody needs to hear this. And he went away, began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Friends, I want to tell you about a story that I think kind of um, illustrates this a little bit. And this is where um, my British accent comes into. Uh, There's a story um, called The Great Divorce. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's a C.S. Lewis story. Um, It's kind of like a novella, not like a full book. But it's a story. uh, This is C.S. Lewis. It's fiction, but it's meant to tell spiritual truth. it's, It's a vision of what heaven could be like. And so it's about this group of people who find themselves on a bus, and they live in a dark city, which is supposed to be basically hell, right? It's a place away from the presence of God. And the people in this bus get a rare privilege to go visit the heavenly realm. And so when they go to the heavenly realm, these people, one by one, choose to get back on the bus. And you're like, why? Why would you choose that? You could have heaven, right? You could have all the joy and bliss of heaven but they all choose to go back. And there is one such man who is faced with this choice and he gets really close to getting back on the bus, but he doesn't. And I want to share that story. So he's a ghost. And so they're kind of darkened that that we're told that that, um, it's like kind of like smoke is covering them sort of. Um, But on this man's shoulder was a little red lizard and it was twitching its tail like a whip and whispering things in his ear. And as, as we caught sight of him, he turned his head to the reptile with a snarl of impatience. Shut up, I tell you! This is my British accent. He said, its tail and it continued to whisper to him. He ceased snarling and presently began to smile. Then he turned and started to limp westward away from the mountains. Off so soon, said a voice, and the voice is from an angel, from this heavenly being who is kind of larger and brighter than a normal man. Yes, I'm off, said the ghost. Thanks for all your hospitality, but it's no good. You see, I told this little chap 
here he indicated the lizard, that he'd have to be quiet if he came, which he insisted. Of course, his stuff won't do here. I realize that. But he won't stop. I shall just have to go home. Would you like me to make him quiet, said the flaming spirit, an angel as I now understood. Of course I would, said the ghost. Then I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. Oh, ah, look out, you're burning me. Keep away, said the ghost, retreating. Don't you want him killed? You didn't say anything about killing him at first. I hardly meant to bother you with anything so drastic as that. I should have done theater, man. This is good. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? Well, that's a further question. I'm quite open to consider it, but it's a new point, isn't it? I mean, for the moment, I was only thinking about silencing it. Because up here, well, it's so, it's so damned embarrassing. They say damned because, remember, they're talking about hell, right? So, yeah. Okay. May I kill it? Well, there's time to discuss that later. There is no time. May I kill it? Please, I never meant to be such a nuisance. Please, really, don't bother. Look, it's gone to sleep of its own accord. I'm sure it'll be all right now. Thanks ever so much. May I kill it? Honestly, I don't think there's the slightest to be able to keep it in order now. I think the gradual process would be far better than killing it. And, and I love this, this phrase. The gradual process is of no use at all. Don't you think so? Well, I'll think over what you've said very carefully. I honestly will. In fact, I'd let you kill it now. But as a matter of fact, I'm not feeling frightfully well today. It would be silly to do it now. I need to be in good health for the operation. Some other day, perhaps. There is no other day. All days are present now. Get back. You're burning me. How can I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if you did. It is not so. Why? You're hurting me now. I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you. By the way, in C.S. Lewis's most famous work, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe in Narnia, there's a similar line about Aslan. You guys remember Aslan the lion? Aslan is basically Jesus, right? Like, he doesn't even try to hide it. Like, the lion gets, like, spread out, and it dies, and it comes back to life. I mean, it's Jesus, right? And somebody sees Aslan, sees this mighty, muscular lion, and they're like, whoa, 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 that lion, is he safe? And, and somebody who knows Aslan says, no, he's definitely not safe. But he is good. He is good. What we are going through will not be comfortable. Remember what it says here. I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you. Oh, no, you think I'm a coward, but it isn't that. Really, it isn't. I say, let me run back by tonight's bus and get an opinion from my own doctor. I'll come again the first moment I can. This moment contains all moments. Why are you torturing me? You are jeering at me. How can I let you tear me to pieces? If you wanted to help me, why didn't you kill the damn thing without asking me? Before I knew it, it would be all over by now if you had. Remember, friends, we, we wonder that. Why doesn't Jesus just dispel the demons? And remember, Jesus is a gentleman. He has to have your permission. I cannot kill it against your will. It is impossible. Have I your permission? The angel's hands were almost closed on the lizard, but not quite. Then the lizard began chattering to the ghost so loud that even I could hear what it was saying. Be careful, it said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word, word from you, and he will. It's not a very lizardy voice. Maybe like, <laughs> then you'll be without me forever and ever. I, I don't know the voice. It's not natural. 
How could you live? You'd be only a sort of ghost, not a real man as you are now. He doesn't understand. He's only a cold, bloodless, abstract thing. It may be natural for him. Yes, yes, I know there are no real pleasures now, only dreams, but aren't they better than nothing? And I'll be so good. I admit I've sometimes gone too far in the past, but I promise I won't do it again. Do you know what the lizard is, by the way, in this instant? I think the lizard could be a lot of things in your life, a lot of things that you don't want to get rid of. But in this instance, the lizard is lust. So this man is addicted to lust, and he's carrying it around. It's a little lizard that torments him, and yet he can't get rid of it. And a part of him doesn't want to. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. You might say quite innocent, Have I your permission, said the angel to the ghost. I know it will kill me. It won't, but supposing it did. You're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Then I may. Damn and blast you. Go on, can't you? Get it over with. Do what you like, bellowed the ghost, but ended whimpering, God help me. God help me. Next moment, the ghost gave a scream of agony such as I never heard on earth. The burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile, twisted it while a bit and writhed and then flung it, broken backed on the turf. Ow, that's done for me, gasped the ghost, reeling backwards. And what happens next is kind of weird. But the man emerges somehow now more solid than he was before. And the lizard actually emerges too. But the lizard starts to glow, and it starts to elongate, and starts to gain muscles, and a snout develops, and then like all of it just starts rising up, and it becomes a golden stallion. And this man starts to stand upright, and he gets on the horse, and they gallop off into the mountains of this far country, this heavenly country. And C.S. Lewis writes, that all of the heavenly country begins to sing in a chorus in response to this man who has finally embraced his destiny. I know it's just a story, friends, but I wonder if it's like that for us. You know, we talk about legion of demons, and that seems so far out there, but maybe there are unclean spirits that plague your life. And maybe it does feel like it's like a legion. You know, do you ever feel like that? Man, my problems, the stuff that just goes on in my head, man, I can't overcome that. You know, I don't want to overly spiritualize everything, but I wonder if some of the people that, um, you know, we have been talking about who did some of these horrible things to women, you know, if some of the, I I, I think, you know, I'd like to think that none of them, wanted to do that? That they're like, oh man, you know, I, I want to be a rapist when I grow up. That'd be great. But somehow, lust in these things, they grip them. And they do these things. And yeah, in, in a way, they can't take it back. I mean, there are penalties for that. There are definite consequences. But friends, you know, I wonder, are there things that grip you that you can't overcome? Now, I think about my anger. I've been talking a lot about how I struggle with anger when somebody cuts in front of me in traffic, when somebody wrongs me, and somebody says something racist to me. Mm, Oh, my gosh. I I just, I just, 
I have such a hard time letting it go. And this is the thing, friends. Afterwards, I always feel regret. I'm always like, man, I got so angry. Um, I actually got so angry um, not that long ago that I, I punched like my steering wheel so hard that I had cuts all over my hand. There's one time I got so angry, I thought I broke my hand, and this was after church. <laughs> you know, you would think, like, you just came from church. But somebody at church, it wasn't this church, by the way. <laughs> Someone made me so mad, I almost broke my hand. Do I want that? I mean, is that the life I want? But this is the thing. When the thought comes of letting that go, of letting go of that anger, of letting go of that injustice, I have a really hard time doing that. Because in a way, anger feels kind of good, doesn't it? I feel justified in it. I feel righteous. Well, that person wronged me. That person was a jerk. I should get angry. They should know how much they wronged me. They can't get away with it. If I don't get angry, then they get away with it. Then they win. And then I'm still that sixth grade boy who's getting tormented by bullies. I'm still that little boy. Well, what about anxiety? What about worry? You ever think about what it would mean to just let go of all that anxiety and worry? Because this process has been going on in my life too. Man, I used to always have, and I still struggle with this. It's a work in progress, friends. But I always used to have a low-level anxiety in my life. You, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe some of you guys have experienced something like this. It's not like the outright anxiety, like I'm not like shaking all the time, like, <laughs> like paralyzed. But just there's like a rumble in my heart, you know? It's like a little flutter. I always kind of worry, like, oh my gosh, is the other shoe going to drop? Is something bad going to happen to me? Something bad going to happen at church? Something bad going to happen to my family? Oh my gosh, what if one of my kids gets hurt? What if one of my kids gets bullied? Oh my gosh, what if North Korea invades? What if they start picking on my kids because they think they're North Korean? And I just like, like, right? Like my mind just goes into hyperdrive. And it's so hard to shut that off. And I've shared where I've tried to let Jesus reign in that. I go to the park, and I just try to be still. And I'm like, Jesus, come and reign in that. And I got to tell you, the anxiety is hard to let go of. Why? Because it's so seductive. The idea that if I worry about it, then in some way, I'm kind of in control of it. Does that make sense? It's kind of weird, isn't it? But I wonder if it's kind of like this lizard. Right? You get so used to it. You get so used to worrying about something. You get so used to your anger. You think it's a part of you. You think that if you don't have it, you wouldn't be you anymore. But friends, what we see here in Scripture is a man whose life completely gets changed. It's not comfortable. I bet it wasn't comfortable when the, the demons came out, came out of him. I don't know. But I bet it was weird. I bet people looked at him funny. I bet he had to deal with a lot of new situations that, of course, would be uncomfortable because they're different. Of course that was going to happen in this life. But he's like, man, this is better. This is better. What would it look like if I didn't have to deal with the pain of anger anymore, if I didn't have to break my hand, you know, or close to it because I punched a steering wheel? What would it look like if I didn't have to worry if I could have that peace of knowing that my God is in control, I don't need to rule the universe because God is in control. Yeah, you're going to have to give something up. The lizard has to die. And afterwards, uh, the man who's watching all of this, angel by him, and he asks him, he's like, wait, wait, that horse? That was kind of weird. That, that lizard became a horse. Was that lizard 
the horse? He said, yes, but don't forget, the lizard had to die first. But there is nothing in your life that God can't transform and turn into something beautiful. There's nothing in your life that God can't do that. But make no mistake, it has to die first. So friends, I I just want to end this message. Um, Maybe we can have the praise team start to come up here. This question is very simple, but I think it's very important. This is the question. Remember, the Shakespearean question was to be or not to be. That is the question. To live or not to live, to exist or not to exist. My question is very simple. To be with Jesus or not to be with Jesus, right? Do you really want to be with Jesus no matter the cost? That's the question. David, uh, or whoever's meeting with the youth group later, maybe you can ask that question (laughs) to the youth group. This is the takeaway. Do you really want to be with Jesus knowing that it's probably going to be uncomfortable? That's just the way change is, friends. It doesn't mean it's not going to be good. Is Jesus safe? Absolutely. Because safe is just, you know, everything's comfortable. He's not safe. But he is so good. He is so good. What God can give you, what God gave this man, new purpose. Being this evangelist who goes out and tells the, the, the good news to 10 different cities. Oh my goodness, it's so good. The freedom you can experience, the freedom and peace of knowing that I don't need to be the one who has to control everything in my life. That I can be free from the things that plague me, that worry me the things I'm addicted to, the things that have been jacking up my life and the bad decisions I've made because of it. Friends, do you want to be with Jesus? Because if Jesus comes into your life, he's going to clean some things up. He's going to change things. He's going to drive out the things that are not of him. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. Do you want that? So I just want to leave us with that. Maybe just take a moment to reflect. You can just take a moment of silence or if you feel led to pray, by all means. But friends, it is a big question. It is an important question. It is, in some ways, I'm not going to lie, a scary question. A question that I ask myself. I like comfort, friends. I'm just going to come clean. I really like comfort. (laughs) I don't like things to change. But at the same time, the things that God needs to change, I want more than anything. More than comfort, I want the things of God. I want Jesus more than I want comfort. Is that true of you? Is that true of you? Let's pray and let's reflect a moment.
God, we uh, come before you acknowledging and confessing that there are times we get so used to our life and the way it is, God. We do chase that comfort. God, we do chase the things that are easy, God, just rolling downhill. And yet, God, you come with the possibility of real change, of real life. God, I know for myself, I want on some level, God, and hopefully on the level that will win, God, I want Jesus more than I want comfort. I want all the things that Jesus will bring when he comes and reigns in my heart and when he dispels the spirits that are not of him, when he comes and rearranges my habits and my way of thinking and feeling. Lord God, I want that more than anything. And yet, God, I pray against that tendency that still lives in me to seek the comfort, to seek what is easy. God, and just for anyone else who's feeling that today, Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to let you in, to not make excuses, to not delay, to not say it's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or gradually. But right now, right now, God, we want to make that decision now. follow you now. Not gradually to lay it down, but to lay it down now. In this moment is the hour of our salvation. So God, we acknowledge that your son laid down everything for us. He died on a cross. He showed his tremendous love so that we could have his life. So that we could live with you forever. God, I pray if there's any of us who have not accepted that gift yet, that we would accept that, that we would accept your reign and rule over our lives for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.